Well, I want to speak this morning about preparing the way of the Lord, and the Lord just keeps talking to me and speaking to me about this, the spirit of Elijah, and out of Malachi 4, where it talks about the spirit of Elijah, and uh, Malachi 4 is a short chapter. This is the whole chapter, and I'm just going to read it. It says, Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. And this is talking about the return of Jesus. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Raise your hand if you're tired of injustice in the earth. Verse 4, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb, or Mount Sinai, for all of Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. So this is in the context of the Lord's returning, second return. And he says, behold, before that day comes, I'm sending Elijah the prophet. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to the fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And so God sending forth the spirit of Elijah before the great and awesome day of the Lord and the end goal of the spirit of Elijah, okay? So when you, we talk about the spirit of Elijah, just to keep it simple, the end goal is the turning of the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. But I think it's important the order that it happens, I think there's obviously children that can turn to their father, back to their fathers first. But I think what we're going to see in the earth is, is a great fathering movement. Mother, and mother, I include mothering in that. Where people are, like families are literally going to turn to the Lord. Families are going to turn to the Lord. And so when, right after the Lord spoke to me, this was a couple months ago when I was just praying at the house by myself, I, I typically get home before everybody else, and I just was praying, walking around. If I sit down, I fall asleep, so I walk around when I, when I pray. And so, um, so I, I, I mean, I do that. If I sit down, anything, I, I fall asleep. I'm just, you know, so I, it's not unusual. But I was praying, and I just felt like I was very clear. The Lord said, the spirit, he just said, the spirit of Elijah. And I just started praying into that. And whenever I started praying into that, what's been happening for me, is people have been knocking down my door to talk to me about family. And so, I've, you know, I've had, even just this past week, two new people just spill their guts to me about their marriage. I mean, deep stuff. And it's just, it's happening. And what it is is because in this moment, where the nations are in chaos, you know. And the reason the nations are in chaos is because all the nations literally are looking at the United States. 
It's like this linchpin. All right? And so, while the nations are in chaos, God's saying, I'm rebuilding the family, the smallest unit in the nations. <laughs> I'm like, God, only you like, think that way. Like, while the nations are like, ah, he's like, I'm building family. And that's, but God knows how to build a foundation, right? He knows how to build a nation. He knows how nations are built. You, you start with the family. You have strong families. You have strong churches. You have strong cities. You have strong nations. And if the foundations are built on sand, it doesn't matter how much is on top of that, right? Because what is happening, the, the only reason nations are in chaos is because there's compromise and brokenness and sin that is, there's cracks in the foundation. You can't put any weight on it. You can't put any weight on it. And so we have to have for the days ahead, no matter what happens, guys, there's going to be more crisis. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not like saying we're going to see Jesus comes back before uh, we die or anything like that. But I'm just saying, I don't think crises are going away. So what does God want for you to be able to handle crises? Strong foundation. He wants you to have strong marriages. He wants you to have your children to know the Lord for themselves. And so this is what he's building. And, then, and, and because I think that this is something that he's doing in me, I, this is the reason I think this is something that he's doing in you. All right, because I'm the, we pastor this church. And so, but John the Baptist was one who came in the spirit of Elijah. Jesus said he would, now John denied being Elijah. They thought Elijah was going to actually kind of come back and be like, it was the same Elijah of the Old Testament. He was going to come back and minister again. Like, but John was like, no, I'm not Elijah. But then Jesus says, John was Elijah. So what was Jesus talking about? He came in the spirit of Elijah. But John's goal was to be the forerunner of Jesus' first coming. And now the spirit of Elijah is coming upon the church. Jesus was called the, I mean, John was called the friend of the bridegroom. And the friend of the bridegroom gets everything ready for the wedding. The church, we're also the bride, but we're also friends of the bridegroom. And, we, and so what God is telling us right now is that we're part of our commission, and it's, and it's even wrapped up in Isaiah 62.10, Go through, go through the gates, build up the highway, remove the stones, and lift up the standard of the people. That's a forerunning, prepare the way of the Lord. Make every, it says, make every mountain low, lift every valley up to prepare straight the way of the Lord. And so, this is what I feel like God is, is calling us to, but John the Baptist, he, he operated in that. So I just want to look at John the Baptist's life. Because I, I believe his life is a picture of like the end time church. Now, when I say end times, don't get, I just don't want y'all to get scared. All right? I used to be afraid of Jesus coming back because I just had a wrong picture of Jesus. Now I'm like, Lord Jesus, come quickly. 
Bill Johnson said, God still gets mad. He just didn't get mad at me. And what he's, and what he's applying is the blood of Jesus as a believer. You're not, we're not under the wrath of God. We might experience shakings because we're in the earth, but you won't experience it. The wrath of God is, is what it says right here in, in Malachi. He sets the wicked ablaze. Okay? So John the Baptist... He came in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way of, of Jesus. And John characterizes, like I said, and embodies the end time church that prepares the way. A few scriptures that talk about uh, John the Baptist is in Luke chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. It says, he will be great before the Lord, speaking of John, and he must not drink wine or, or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So there is a preparation to get ready for Jesus' coming back. So he foreshadows the, not four ways, uh, but five ways. He, I can't count, guys. Uh, I hope, I hope y'all are all right with that with your pastor, not being able to count. But, um, and we're just going to look at these first two today, but intercession and worship, which is basically the, the priestly ministry that every Christian has. Peter said we're a royal nation, a royal priest, basically. The second thing, holiness and righteousness. Third, sacrificial offerings, radical generosity and giving. Four, a spirit of repentance, a turning of hearts, and then five, a prophetic spirit. So these are, these are five things I think are going to characterize the church in these last days. So the priestly ministry, intercession and worship. So John... He came from a priestly family. His, his dad, Zacharias, was a priest and a high priest, I believe, and he spent his early days consecrated to the Lord in ministry to him because he was going to be in line uh, following the steps of his father. He, you didn't really have a choice when you were born into the Levitical side, the Levitical tribe. You were going to be a priest. That's who you were called to be. And so in this way, John walked in the way of Elijah who described himself in 1 Kings chapter 18, 15, he described himself as I who stand before the Lord. So here's this picture of Elijah, the great prophet. And he says, this is, I stand before the Lord. I stand in the Lord's presence. I mean, how was Elijah able to live so radically different from everybody in Israel? It's because he stood in the Lord's presence. He, he stood in the presence of the Lord in worship and in dialogue, in communion, in intercession before the Lord. And so he was given to prayer and worship. And so as the end time church, this is our first step. And this is really, I mean, you call it the end time church, you can call it church throughout history, you call it just being a Christian. <laughs> but our first step is to build a history of worship and prayer personally. So like I said, if you... If you fall asleep sitting down when you're trying to talk to the Lord or read, just get up and walk around. Like, find, find your groove. 
Some people like soaking. How many of y'all like soaking? All right. Jessica is a soaker. I'm a sleeper. And so, now I soak to the Word of God. Like, I'll, I'll play the Word of God over myself, and I just understand that it's hitting my spirit. I don't have to um, comprehend everything in my mind. So I'll let the, the Word just read over me. But if somebody's praying over me, and it's soft music, it's lights out. And so I'm just, so this is, I found my groove, walking my house, worshiping the Lord. And so I, this is, this is me. This is how I, I it, it just works for me. So you just find that step and you start building that history of the Lord. I know I have friends that go on walks. And, and, and then there's, Others that they, they can sit in the chair and not fall asleep. So more power to you. But build your history of worship and prayer personally with the Lord. And this was, um, you know, Amos chapter 9 and Acts 15. They talk about the restoration of the tabernacle of David is going to happen before Jesus comes back. What is the tabernacle of David? So when David became king, he established 24-hour, seven-day-a-week prayer and worship in the temple. And he attributed mass resources to make that happen. So he, he had, he paid. So there, was, there were guys who stood before the throne and who were paid to give thanks to the Lord. They just, imagine you just, hey, as I'm clocking, hey, nine, I got the nine-to-five shift. Give the, and, you, you know, you slap Tom, give him a high five as he leaves, and you're just like, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his love endures forever. And that's your, that's your job. He had guys that did that. He had, he had guys that watched the doors. He had guys that offered up sacrifices. He had guys that gave thanks. He had guys that, that just praised the Lord. So you, you're a praise guy. You're a thanksgiving guy. You watch the door. He had massive amounts of money invested in just worshiping the Lord. And it happened 24 hours a day, seven days a week. His whole time as king. And God is right now, it may not be in one spot, but there's going to be continual offering up of worship and intercession before the Lord in the last days by his church. It's not, it's not going to cease. There's not going to be one drop, drop off in the worship and intercession. And it's actually, it's going to happen in cities. It already is. I believe it's going to happen in Athens. And this is why we did the One Voice conferences almost 10 years ago. We did four or five One Voice conferences where it was just 24 hours of worship and prayer as a way, it was like a seed being sown in the spirit of like, God, we believe you're going to raise up the tabernacle of David again in this city. And we had churches, we had all, you know, different churches and ministries were a part of that. They had two-hour slots, and it was just worship and prayer. And it was awesome. It was of the Lord. And then the Lord was like, you're done. If he ever tells us to do it again, we'll do it again. But we did it. It, took, it was like within a year and a half we did, or maybe two years, we did four or five of those. And so Jesus connects night and day prayer in Luke 18 with his second coming. And so he says, he told them a parable. This is Luke 8, 18, verses 1 through 8. He told them a parable to the effect 
that they always are always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For, while, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So Jesus says God brings justice speedily, and he's not, like, he's not an unrighteous judge. He's a righteous judge. So if an unrighteous judge gives just, justice, how much more will our righteous father do that? But he says he gives justice speedily, but then he's saying, don't lose heart. Keep the faith. What does that tell you? It tells you God's time is a lot different from ours. <laughs> Graham Cook says he, God's always on time. He just misses a lot of opportunities to be early. God is always on time. A day is like a thousand years to him. I mean, a thousand years is like a day to him. And so he just, but he's always on time. Say that again. Say God's always on time. Because we need to know that. So that's one of the things, intercession and worship. And then joy-filled holiness and righteousness. Now, there is a holiness and righteousness that looks like this. Like, I'm having, I'm miserable. I'm miserable. But Jesus, the most holy and righteous man to ever walk the earth, was crowned with joy. He had the, it says that he was anointed with the oil of gladness. So there is a, a bottle in heaven. I'm, you know, I'm just reading between the lines. And he just, this big old bottle, and it's called the oil of gladness. He said, I'm going to anoint the most holy and righteous man to ever walk the earth with this bottle of oil. Now, John was set apart, holy and righteous. Now, sometimes we think of John as like this old man in the desert. He's like, you brutal vipers. And he's got stuff spitting out everywhere. And he's, he's got that spittle in the corners of his mouth and everything. You know, and so he's, and he's angry. But John was actually only six months older than Jesus, so he's in his early 30s. And it says that John, that the people rejoiced at John's ministry, that Herod heard him gladly. And Herod got tricked into, Herod got drunk. That's another reason you don't get, you don't get drunk, other than the Lord doesn't, he tells you not to, but then you end up uh, cutting off somebody's head that you like. That's just a, a, an analogy of what can happen when you get drunk, all right? So don't get drunk on anything. But Herod's wife said, you know, she hated John because he was speaking against their marriage. Now, John was speaking into political spaces. 
got him in trouble. Doesn't mean he was doing well, he was doing anything wrong, but he was telling, he's like, your marriage. God doesn't like your marriage. And so Herod list, would listen to him, but his wife wanted him to be gone. So she, he got drunk. She, he got tr- tricked into beheading John. But anyways, all that's to say Herod heard him gladly. And then in John chapter 5, verse 35, it says, Jesus said, John was a burning, shining lamp, and that people rejoiced in his light. You know, Psalm 126 says, those who sow with tears will will reap with, with joy. God is sending joyful harvesters into the harvest. Like when we go on outreach, like you can have joy because your acceptance or rejection re- means nothing to me. And, I, and I, what I mean by that is like it doesn't affect who I, my identity in any way. Whether you reject or accept me, like I'm going to feel the same about what, who God is in me and who God says I am. Because if it's, it's just as dangerous if somebody, if somebody starts patting you on the back and you're like, whoo, <laughs> that feels good, man. As opposed to somebody's like, get out of my face. As either way, if that makes you feel real good or makes you feel real bad, then you like you need to like hone in on the Lord. And so the praise of man, the, the slaps on the back, we appreciate it. Encourage your neighbor. Encourage it. We're, we're called to encourage each other. I'm just saying when we but when we go into the harvest fields, the slap on the back. Or the rejection shouldn't move us. John, his main message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John is not saying, he's not one of the old Tate Center preachers that never preached this. The Tate Center preachers, this was their message. You're going to hell. It wasn't like, repent. So you don't go to hell because God loves you. And he, he, he sacrificed his son for you, so you don't have to go to hell. When we do street preaching, that's one of the things that always bubbles up in my spirit to tell people. is just like, Listen, I've, I've said this. I was like, you're, you've seen God wrong. You think he wants to send you to hell, but he said over my son's dead body. That's the last thing he wants. Is for you to go to hell. And he sacrificed everything dear to him to make that happen. It's a total flip, but the devil's twisted it. God, he's just, he just loves punishing people, man. No, God loves showing mercy. And this was the message that John the Baptist bring. Repent, repent, turn. So you, you can... Not experience damnation. You can come out from shame, condemnation. You be free from your sins. So this is this is the message that the church will carry. We're gonna we're gonna preach about heaven and hell, and we're gonna do it in a different spirit than the spirit of condemnation. It's gonna come now. People may hate you, but it's not because you're coming in the condemnation. The the taste center preachers that were had that condemnation spirit. The Christians didn't like being around them. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's a different spirit. But you can preach about heaven and hell with, in, in love. I feel like Greg does a great job of that. 
preaching hard truth in a spirit of love. Matthew eleven seven, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. And this is what I was alluding to earlier. John was not shaken by the opinions of men. John had been matured in love through his pursuit of God and worship and intercession. And he was true, truly one coming up out of the wilderness, leaning on his beloved. So John, Jesus, Jesus gives commentary on John. He says, who did you go out to see? Let me tell you about John. Did you see a reed shaken by the wind? Like every, he's just, the reed moves any way the wind blows? No. You saw a man, and, and Jesus goes on to call him the greatest of the prophets, even though he performed no signs and wonders or miracles. And that's, we need signs and wonders and miracles. That's part of what, that's the New Testament model. But Jesus was just pointing to the fact of how given John's heart was to God. But he was not shaken. Ephesians chapter 4 Verse 14 says, we're no longer to be children tossed to and fro and carried about every wind of doctrine. How I many you know, now, sometimes we hear doctrine and we think biblical theology. You got, there's a lot of doctrine out there. You got humanistic doctrine. You got new age doctrine. You got political doctrine. You got all kinds of doctrine. But it's saying not to be tossed by every wind of doctrine. So we're to be like John the Baptist. We're not, we're not a reed shaken by the wind. We're oaks of righteousness. And listen to this. It goes on. By every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men. We're not to be tossed around by the trickery of men. And the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Now, men have been in deceit and plotting and craftiness schemes since Adam and Eve fell. Probably still going to be some guys doing that until Jesus comes back. But for us, we're not to be tossed about by that stuff. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy, period, no matter what your circumstances are. That's the standard. That's the standard. It's not like, well, this is happening. No. Righteousness, peace, and joy, no matter what the circumstance. And if you're not there, you're like, God, get me there. It's that simple. There's no shame in it. You just say, I need help. Children have no shame when they ask you to do something for them. Josiah, he's like, mm-hmm, that's right. <laughs> no, I, did, I had no shame asking my parents to, do, to get me something at the grocery store. Mommy, give me, mom, get the Cool Ranch Doritos. I love me some Cool Ranch Doritos growing up. So, but they don't have any shame. And so that's when we need help or we need something, come to the Lord before without shame. In thanksgiving, it says in thanksgiving, 
Make your requests known by prayer and supplication. Supplication is like, God, I need stuff. I need you. Lord, I don't have righteousness, peace, and joy in my life right now because of my circumstances. I need you to help me live from a higher place. Okay? And then John the Baptist's message from John chapter 1. He goes on to say, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. What does it mean to make something straight? What does it mean to make something straight? It means to make something clear, plain, easy to understand, not confusing. Loving Jesus is simple. It's you lose your life so you can gain his life. You die so you can live. It's that simple. You know, one of the guys that I, I was talking with this past week who's having marriage issues, he's like, man, I know I've been mean. I know I've been mean, but I just I think it's over. I want to change, Travis. I think I want to change, but I don't, you know, I'm going to try better. I'm going to try to do better. I told him, I said, don't try. He said, I probably need, I need to start coming back to church. I need, I just need to do better and not be so mean. I was like, dude, don't try anything. I said, you need to be born again. I said, you, the change that you want has to be born within you. You can't willpower yourself into righteousness. You got to surrender. Like it just, and you ain't ever going to get it unless you surrender. And to me, that's making straight the way of the Lord. You're making it plain. It's like you have to be born again. There is no, there is no try. There is no willpower. There's only surrender. He says, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. I don't think John had an inferiority complex. I just simply think he knew the majesty of Jesus. He spent, worship, he spent time worshiping the Lord. And when you invest yourself in that, you behold the majesty. And you see things for what they truly are. He didn't have an inferiority complex. He, he didn't hate himself. He just saw the majesty of the Lord. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. <laughs> this, is what we, this is what we do, dude. Behold the Lamb. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus who takes away the sin of the world. This is when you, when you are ministering to somebody, you're helping somebody, your first priority is always to direct them to the Lamb. Direct them to say, behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. That's always the first priority. Because if you give them advice and they just take your advice, guess what they're doing? They're coming back to the well again. And they're going to be, but then, but if you connect them to the Lord, then they're connected to the fountain of life. They're connected to the river of life, the one who is life. He says, I didn't, I do not, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. One of the things I think that's, coming in the church 
is that there's going to be people across all denominations being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's part of the four, that, that message that we carry is like, you need the Holy Spirit. You need Jesus to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Because that's like I told my friend, I was like, it's got to be born within you. You got to have it. You got to have the spirit that does have that, that does have righteousness. You need the Holy Spirit. You can't, you're not holy. You need the Holy Spirit. And I saw I, a few weeks ago, I saw the Lord. I saw charismatics and cessationists in a salad dressing bottle. The charismatics were oil. The cessationists were the vinegar. And the Lord took the bottle. He started shaking it up and it became one. And the Lord says, the cessationists and the charismatics are becoming one through shaking. And I've seen that even with what's going on in our country. There's been, there's, <laughs> hey, there's been a little more unity in the body of Christ. And then John did not mind losing disciples who decided to follow Jesus. John was not building his kingdom they said, John's got his disciples. Jesus comes on the scene, and it was Andrew and Philip. <laughs> and they're like, he says, that's the Messiah right there. And they're like, are you kidding me? Like, really? He's like, yep, that's him. And they're like, uh, it's been awesome, but I mean, John, really, thank you. But I'm going over here, and. John just does the, see you guys, you're never mind anyways. His, it was not about him. It's not about his kingdom. And this is what the church is going to look like. It's not going to be about a guy's kingdom. It's not going to be about a ministry. It's not going to be about a church. It's going to be about people saying, behold the lamb. Everything, all glory, all honor, all power, all dominion, all his sheep, all his people, they all belong to the good shepherd. They all belong to the king.